When you think of great duos, who do you think of? Jordan and Pippen or LeBron and Dwayne Wade. I mean, I talk about basketball a lot here on this podcast, but for the Barcelona version, there's PK and Puyol or PK and Mascherano or the easy example of Xavi and Iniesta. And as you can hear from my voice, the perfect teammates aren't just professional athletes. It's cold season. I guess the flu and cold medicine, perfect teammates as well. But in this case, when it comes to growing your business, that's you and Shopify. Shopify is a global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. To be honest, I've been doing this show long enough. And as I mentioned, it's cold and flu season. You hear it in my voice, especially during the holiday season. So whenever it comes to this business, anything that I can set up and kind of have working in the background that I know and can trust is just plugging along without my attention. Those are the things that I really value at this point. So when my brain is foggy, all I can do is manage to turn on the microphone, talk to the guest, or just talk to myself and get out a piece of content. Everything else, having that all automated or working in the background, that's been important to keeping me sane. And that's the thing about something like Shopify. What I do love about Shopify is how no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. So no matter how big or small, how good of a month or how bad of a month, things are just the same working in the background. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is a global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs on every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tbpod, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash tbpod now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash tbpod. Welcome to episode 243 of the Barcelona Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Dave Hilton. I'm again joined by Frances Tomas, featured on ESPN, Darcelblog.com creator. And Frances, we did speak a few days ago, but since then, Barca went out and scored five goals, and now we're three days closer to PSG than the last time we talked. Hola, Gules. Yes, um, there are five less days until Neymar's sister's birthday as well, which I think that is the most important thing we're going to talk about today, right? <laughs> well, we will touch on Neymar because today we are doing a Deportivo Alaves preview, or rather make that review, and then the PSG preview. All right, there we go. We got all that right. So now let's get on to it because we just finished watching Deportivo Alaves. Well, yesterday for me, today for you, it was a 5-1 demolition for Barcelona. And I think just to start off the top, Coleman got a lot right here. The three things he wanted, rotate, check. Three points, check. Play with a winning intensity to carry over to PSG, check. And there aren't many other things from this match that I think Coleman would have asked. Do you think for him it was a 10 of 10 performance for the manager in terms of just making sure he checked all the boxes necessary before PSG? Yes, I'd say so. I think that whenever you start a match with Ricky Puig, Mingueza, Elijah Moriva, etc., then it is clear that just winning the game is going to be, is going to be a bonus. Um, I think that the fact that the youngsters are getting playing time is crucial. Um, I think that the way that Kuma sees it, is more about giving rest to other key players, um, especially ahead of such a big game, which ultimately is going to make or break Barca's season, uh, especially the way that things are 
are going and the way that Atletico de Madrid continues to perform at the top of the table, given the advantage that they've managed to amass so far. But no, it's a, it's a great win. Um, I literally just finished watching the game now. I think 5-1, five goals for us, I think it's a little bit too generous. Um, I think that Alaves really went that much worse than us, um, at least not, not to go with a full goal differential back to Alaba. So, yeah, no, I'm, I'm happy with the win. I'm happy with the fact that Ricky Puig got a whole game at last. Um, that was great to see. I'm happy that Mingueza continues to evolve. Um, I think that right now he's our best defender. And 10 games ago, he was nowhere to be seen. Hadn't even debuted. So um, loads of positives. I think that the fact that Pedri comes on, changes the game, not just necessarily with, with what he does on the ball, but the way that he recovers and creates from that point onwards. The fact that he was like a little bit, a little bit of a shot of insulin to the rest of the team. The fact that Trincao continues to grow. Um, you know, hadn't scored a single goal a week ago. Now he's got three in the same week, which is fantastic. Um, no one, you know, not everything is perfect. No one is perfect all the time. I mean, the goal that we conceded, Ilash Moriba just gave the ball away, showing that he is what he is, which is an 18-year-old player. Um, at 18 years old, I had made a lot more mistakes. And a much lesser um, caliber, you know, playing with my hometown club, etc. And uh, I'm just happy that all of the things that we mentioned so far did happen. As you said at the start, three points, which is what Kuman wanted. Um, no significant injuries. In fact, some playing time for Pjanic and Serginho there on the way back to recovery. And uh, obviously, Kuman and the doctors know better than us, clearly. But it looks like um, he's getting some incentives. He's getting some players back ahead of the great, 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 importantly match against PSG. Well, yeah, let's talk the, the youngsters in the midfield. I do want to certainly talk about the midfield because I think that is where Barcelona won that match. It was two experienced players on the other side for Alaves. It didn't really have the legs. And Barcelona, clearly, they had youth and they also had experience behind them in Busquets. And that, I think, added a dynamism that Alaves couldn't really match. And then, obviously, yes, in the second half, there was the, not only the change of Pedri, because Coleman then in the presser, it, it was twofold. That yes, it was that Pedri came in and that did add some life to it. And he was also, in terms of his relationship with Ricky Puj, he does cover defensively for Puj in, the, in that ball recovery way, as you mentioned. And I believe one of the goals, I, I'm trying to remember which one it was. I think it was the last one, the Junior Firpo goal, where Pedri recovers quickly to Puj, quickly to Messi, dinks it over the top to Griezmann, and then it's a cross into to Junior Firpo. That's the final goal of the game. And that is, so much of that is credited to Pedri immediately turning them back over and not necessarily pressing as a unit, but pressing and, and getting the ball back in the way that he did. But Coleman also in the presser did indicate that he liked the response from the team, as in it was 2-1 and then the level picked up again. So I think that Barcelona, I actually disagree just a little bit about how Barcelona did dominate this match. I think this one was easily in hand from minute one on and the 2-1 did make it seem a little, a little worrisome at times. And sure, if a ball goes in, it's a different story. But I think that Barcelona really did dominate this match in an unequivocal way and overwhelmed Alaves as they've done now over the last five years, quite a few times that they put four or five goals past Alaves. And Busquets, for, for his time on the pitch, was he was good. I mean, he was too good for Alaves at, at a lot of different juncture. His, his balls over the top, his uh, reading of the game. And the one thing I will note, though, the Alaves, uh, other than the goal that they scored, obviously, which comes from an Iash Mariba mistake, the time that they would break they did break against Busquets, and they did break because Busquets was out of position. But that brings me into me talking about Iash and Puj. 
because the only reason Busquets in this match in particular was out of position wasn't necessarily because of his mobility, but it was because of the defensive positioning. And what we spoke about last week when I was, or a few days ago, about that rest defense. So with ES Mariba and Ricky Puj in that midfield alongside him, they are regularly, I mean, as you expect young players to be, out of position defensively, going back to what, again, what I said about the rest defense the other day, they're only in the poor defensive position when Barcelona have possession of the ball, if that makes any sense. So the minute Barcelona turn it over, those two are way out of position. There is no exact position to be in when your team has possession, especially if you're Puj and you're constantly a part of ball rotation and being a part of that. So he has a bit of work, that being Puj, from getting to his more central spot attacking when they have possession to getting back to his interior spot to help whoever the left back may be on the day on that on that left flank as well as collapsing into the middle in case that's where the counterattack is coming from. So Puj, because of where he is offensively, winds up not really reading well that Barcelona's about to give the ball away and the spots in which they do give it away so he doesn't get into position fast enough. And so the argument I keep seeing about Puj is that there have to be two camps. And we talk about with Puj all year long, now that he's playing, the camps just have shifted a little bit. Where offensively, we agree, he should be playing. He combines well with Messi, and Barcelona are a better, they're a better side with the ball when Puj is on the field. Defensively, he's still not good enough, he's still improving, but he's leaving Barcelona in bad positions, even against a team like Alaves, who were playing too many 30-year-olds, let's put it this way, too many 30-year-olds, no, no, not on quick 30-year-olds, but they're playing too many 30-year-olds to worry about their speed destroying you out on the break. And that was an issue with Pooh. So I think offensively, yeah, he deserves to play. Defensively, he still has things to work on. That's why he's a sub behind Pedri. So I, I think that the there's there needs to be nuance in the argument about Pooh that he is a still evolving player. And if we can recognize what he is improving, is also his passing. I think he had much better decision making against Alaves when the game is working, or at least the opponent is working a little bit faster in higher stakes games this season. Do you want to respond to Pooh? Then we'll go on to ES Mariba. I think that's probably a better idea. So. You can hit the yeah, no, point. I don't. I don't disagree too much on that. Um, but I think that we are nitpicking a little bit. Um, I think that this was a match against Alaves that was the match that no one wanted to play, apart from the ones you know the youngsters that actually did get the playing time. But if you ask Kuman, do you want the Alaves game like three or four days before the, the PSG, right after the defeat in Sevilla? He would say no. This is a game that no one in their right mind wanted to play. Really, uh, it was a nuisance of a game. And the fact that so many young players got playing time that and we got away with the win, that's that's gotta be it. Obviously, there is a tendency in world football, in modern social media, etc., of overanalyzing everything. Uh, I think that Ricky Puch has to be the position this year has to be either a player that doesn't play at all. Hopefully that's not the case because he's got stuff to add, but an impact player that comes on in the last 15, 20 minutes of matches and can add what you just explained offensively. Um, I think that Ricky Puch right now is not a 90 minutes player, uh, especially in the big games. But, you know, against a team like Alaves, Leganés, Levante, Osasuna, etc., he's a player that can play the game and he will make mistakes because, you know, he's 21. Um, obviously, Lash Moriba is 18, so he makes <laughs> Ricky Puch make ancient. And it's the same with Pedri. But, you know, at just 21 years old, playing for the first team at Barca, you know, doing it with the with a happy smile, happy face that he does it, you know, like if, whenever Barca score, he celebrates like he's, he's a fan. Like when he's cuddling Messi, he's like, you know, this is his idol uh, because he really is, you know, and, and I think all of these factors need to be put into, into perspective um, for someone who is probably the first or second match, as far as I, as far as I remember, 
that Ricky Butch plays the 90 minutes so for the first team, I think he did very well. Um, obviously, he's not the finished product, as you just explained. But I think that trying to pick too much and trying to look too much into this is, is, not, is not fair because Pedri has had a lot more playing time. Um, granted, I think he's deserved it more than Puch has, to be honest. And we've been saying that all year. And, but I want to sort of, as you said, I want to shift away from the Pedri versus Puch sort of debate, fight sides here. I think that we need to take them as separate players. I think Rick, uh, Pedri is now a starter at Barca. And deservedly so because mm-hmm. of everything he does at both ends of the pitch. And, you know, you've got Busquets, the young Pedri. I think that not many people would doubt that's the best uh, midfield distribution, midfield starting um, triangle for us right now. And Ricky Puch is an alternative player that, as any alternative player does, adds a lot, mainly offensively. And defensively, he hasn't had the, the running so that he can improve enough. But yep. I think that he's a very valid player for us. Yeah, I mean, I understand the, the like from my perspective. Obviously, we host the podcast, so it sounds like I'm over analyzing as I do. I really analyze the, the games a ton. <laughs> I think what I what I'm saying is that I mean, I actually think the discourse around Puj is the opposite of that. I actually, when it comes to over the reason I'm giving trying to give specific examples about why we like Puj so much, right? There's something about him that we enjoy offensively, and then it just makes sense when we watch him. We say, hey, he fits in this team. Not only. Is it his passion? Not only does he love the crest, not only does he love playing for Barcelona, but then on the other side of it, there's an argument as to why he... To explain to someone, he is the backup behind Pedri. We don't need to explain that because we know that that fact is to be true. But why is he not as good as Pedri? What is not in his game, what doesn't exist in his game that exists in Pedri? And so I want to make clear what those points are because it seems like the discourse... Again, you're the fortunate one who's not on the internet. So I think the discourse on the internet is that... People either love Puj and he needs to play, but they don't give a reason. So I say, if Puj needs to be a starter, why? And if Puj is a bench player, not behind Pedri, but if you don't think... Because it's not even behind Pedri. I think we actually have a nuanced argument. The other camp is, we need to get this kid. This, he's just not good enough for Barcelona. But clearly, he's good enough for Barcelona at this stage yeah. in his career, but he still needs things to work on his game. So I think with the overanalyzing, from my perspective, just comes out as... Hey, I, there are specific reasons why he's getting minutes, and there are specific reason, reasons why he's not a starter. I just want to make okay. those things clear. Um, All right. Now, switching over to the ES Mariba point here. Yeah, sh- shall I shall I make it simple in that point then, Dan? Oh, please, me, please. There are, th- there are three reasons why <laughs> Pedri is ahead of Puch right now. If you want me to compare the two, which I really don't want to do, but you're pushing for it. Um, number one, because Ronald Koeman prefers to play Pedri. That's number one. The manager has seen something in Pedri that he hasn't seen in Ricky, and that's why he was playing more at the beginning of the year. So that that's for a start. And that's not a matter of um, analyzing anything else, but what the manager wants. And the manager sees them in training every single day. We don't. So that's number one. Number two, Pedri is much better than Ricky Puig today in recovering balls. Um, he is much more, um, I want to say, disciplined in terms of um, positioning. Yeah. Whenever Barca are not in possession, I also think... And, you know, this is debatable because the sample size for Ricky is, is, is smaller. But I think um, Pedri is fitter. I think Pedri is faster. I think that he is right now fitter, especially when, you know, there's clashes and, and you need to go for a divided ball. And the last one is that Pedri right now has played more, many more minutes than Ricky. So he's more used to playing at the highest level. Um, which is obviously number three is a continuation and a reflection of number one. But that's the three reasons. I don't know if that simplifies it or makes it harder, but there you go. That's that's. 
When you think of great duos, who do you think of? Jordan and Pippen or LeBron and Dwayne Wade. I mean, I talk about basketball a lot here on this podcast, but for the Barcelona version, there's PK and Puyol or PK and Mascherano or the easy example of Xavi and Iniesta. And as you can hear from my voice, the perfect teammates aren't just professional athletes. It's cold season. I guess the flu and cold medicine, perfect teammates as well. But in this case, when it comes to growing your business, that's you and Shopify. Shopify is a global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. To be honest, I've been doing this show long enough. And as I mentioned, it's cold and flu season. You hear it in my voice, especially during the holiday season. So whenever it comes to this business, anything that I can set up and kind of have working in the background that I know and can trust is just plugging along without my attention. Those are the things that I really value at this point. So when my brain is foggy, all I can do is manage to turn on the microphone, talk to the guest, or just talk to myself and get out a piece of content. Everything else, having that all automated or working in the background, that's been important to keeping me sane. And that's the thing about something like Shopify. What I do love about Shopify is how no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. So no matter how big or small, how good of a month or how bad of a month, things are just the same working in the background. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is a global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs on every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tbpod, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash tbpod now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash tbpod. Yeah, I think so. I think we'll put a pin in that. Um, I don't even think we disagreed. I think we'd, we'd love to hear from people what you think of that discussion. I think my brain is kind of, it's kind of all over the place here. Yes, Mariba, it's a little easier to break down because he's clearly a youth team player. Unlike Pooch, who's a first-team player, E.S. Mariba is a youth team player getting this opportunity. And for that, I tried to look at him as a youth team player. That's simply what he is. He's two months younger than Pedri. So as, as young as we always keep saying Fatih and Pedri are, E.S. Mariba is two years younger. So four years from now, he's just going to be a few months older than Pooch is now. Four years from now. I, I know I threw a lot of numbers out there, but it's just twos and fours. I think we can all handle that. So for his debut in La Liga, at least, he debuted for the first team, I thought he was good in the air. His passing got better as he found the game. Clearly, it was sloppy early on. He was underhitting a lot of passes. And a lot of times when you underhit passes, that has to do with some kind of nerves. And while he didn't have fans in the stands, playing at the camp, no, for a young player like that who's been in the academy for, I think, since he was 13 years old, I believe, uh, 12 or 13 years old, 14 maybe. Um, it can be still nerve-wracking to go past, uh, for those who've, who've been in the stadium, to walk past that cathedral, uh, the if, if you, yeah, down below the stadium as you're walking up and then out on the pitch, there's certainly why you would underhit passes like that. And then the obvious bad mistake that led to the only Alaves goal. Uh, but I thought he was rather tidy. And there were there were moments, especially playing alongside Busquets and Puj, where you definitely got the sense, the way that they were moving the ball, that yes, Puj's passing was a little crisper yesterday than it has been this season. And that's why he got all 90 minutes. And then Busquets was his normal self. He's going to He's going to put players in the positions to succeed offensively, in particular when when they're in possession. And I thought Es Mariba didn't look out of he didn't look out of place alongside two other academy products. And I know we overhyped the idea of what 
ball movement looks like coming from the academy. But if there's anything, yes, I think it's positional play, one from, from La Masia, but as far as moving the ball well and moving in tandem with your midfield partners is, I think, the number one thing we expect out of academy products, especially those who come from the midfield, which is the heavily focused on position in the academy. And so I don't think he looked completely out of place there. So I actually push back again. The instant reactions are going to be he's Barcelona's next Paul Pogba because of X, Y, Z reasons, or he's, or can he be the next, you know, box to box Arturo Vidal? There's a jump to try to compare him to other players. And I, I think certainly there are things about his game that are very unlike where you have other academy products who are the Xavi, the Nesta, the Pooches, the, the, the smaller diminutive midfielder. He's a different kind of midfielder because he's a much more mobile midfielder than Barcelona fans are expecting to see. He, he, he's able to get up and down in different ways. I thought defensively, again, because he's also good in the air. Can, when was the last time? Because, I mean, Busquets is, what, eight feet tall, and he's not great in the air. He never has been. So I'm, t- I'm actually trying to rack my brain. Maybe you can help me with this. Who was the last Barcelona midfielder who came from the academy who was really good in the air? Thiago Mota, maybe. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, good. that's a good one. I yeah. think since then, not really anyone in that, in that position or around that position, because Thiago Mota could play anywhere, really, midfield. Mm-hmm. Um he was, I remember him pairing up with Luis Enrique in, you know, one of the later years that Luis Enrique was playing for us. And uh, I remember him doing runs into the box as Thiago Mota. Obviously, he then got recycled to a defensive midfielder, especially after he left us. Um, on the point of Elijah Muriva, um, I think that the key point here, uh, when any, whenever anyone from La Masia gets promoted, is the word desentonar, which is uh, singing out of tune, basically, in English. And... Uh, at, at 18 years old, you being able to go into the first team and play alongside the young and Messi and all of the others and not be noticed for anything bad that you do, apart from the goal, we're going to let him off today. Yeah, uh, he's 18, but, we're fine. <laughs> yeah, of course. Um, not be, being able to just adjust, being able to just be one of the clocks in the whole in the whole engine of Barca moving forward and, and playing the ball and keeping possession and recovering the ball in, in advantageous positions up front. He did well. Um, I didn't see anything spectacular either way. I didn't see anything spectacularly great. I didn't see anything terrible apart from the pass. But then again, he does, people do make mistakes. You know, if he hadn't put that one pass wrong, we wouldn't even be talking about that part. About that part. And I think that at 18 years old, as you mentioned already, Cam No debut. I mean, this guy has been training next to the Camp Nou. Obviously, they moved it a little bit further out to the Ciudad Esportiva now, but you know what I mean? Like training alongside the Camp Nou, driving alongside the Camp Nou, um, everyone within his family, his friends, his schooling, knowing that he plays for Barca, all of that pressure, you know, the, the, the dream. If you speak to Andres Iniesta now, so I watched an interview the other day and his most special moment wasn't really scoring the Stanford Bridge goal. It was his debut for the first team because that is the first hurdle, the first, the first hurdle that the majority of teammates in the La Masia youth teams coming through will never get mm-hmm. to get over. And he's getting that call up, going in the bus with Messi, and etc., and then actually playing. And, and he did this. Uh, he gave an assist in his first start uh, at the Camp Nou. I, I, I watched in the celebration, Messi looked at him and, and Elijah's face was like, I've done it. I've given <laughs> an assist, you know, and, and yeah. that that's the... What we say in Spanish, like ilusión, you know, that is the, the joy of playing for Barca that, you know, we, we've been doing the podcast for four years now. And uh, 
even like two years ago when I kept saying, just play the kids, just put the kids out there. Oh no, but you know, he's going to take time, so time uh, playing time away from Denis Suarez or, oh, Todibon needs to start here or, oh, the Malcolm, what about Malcolm? Just play the kids, just play the kids because you're going to have six, seven, eight, maybe 10 games of rough, rough and tough. You're going to have mistakes. You're going to have goals given away. You're going to have points given away, mm-hmm. but ultimately these players feel the crest and these players know the boss away. That, that's already two things that they've got above any player you get from anywhere. And then, you know, if they are fit, if they are confident and they are trusted, then in the long run, I'm not saying immediate, but in the long run, I think playing t- all the um, academy graduates is, is the way that Barca survives, is the, way that Bar- is the way that Barca becomes great. And, you know, I doubt we're going to win the Champions League this season or the year after or the year after that, especially when Messi leaves us. But I'm really enjoying the last two, two months, for example, I'm really enjoying the whole of the season. I know it was terrible at the beginning in terms of results, et cetera, and the pressure on the, on the manager who was making these, these kids play. But I'm really enjoying the season because I'm seeing something different that I haven't seen for five, six, probably even 10 years, not even with the Pep Guardiola era, because you have great players like Eto and Ronaldinho when he got to the first team, which obviously he offloaded very quickly. Deco, add Deco to that as well. But I'm really enjoying this, what I'm calling transition season. And as we spoke about literally just three days ago, um, we could call it the, the cup season. You know, we could win the Spanish cup. It's tricky. Obviously, the result in Sevilla wasn't great. We are, what, five or seven matches away from winning the Champions League. I mean, it seems like a lot, but, you know, it, it could happen. I think if the youngsters are trusted in La Liga, that's a win-win situation, even if we didn't win the games. And let's go for the cops. So see what happens. Yeah, I mean, when people give you credit, speaking about playing the kids, uh, that's fine. We can give Frances credit for being the ones to say we need to play the Academy products. I would just ask you to go back and listen on YouTube and watch on YouTube the entire series mm-hmm. I had about all the best, the best Academy products. So again, yep. give Frances the credit, but watch my videos. That's all That's all we ask of you. No. That's the no, trade-off. Give you, give you, no, 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 man. Like, give you the credit because you're the one that's done the you know specific nitty gritty um, research and those videos yeah. are great. Like well, every si- you do them every six months, right? So every six months they come up, and you can go back and watch them all. Most of those players are either playing at the Barca first team or they have made it to the first division, which is very very impressive. Yeah, I, I pride myself on my, uh, on my on my correctness and my my uh, my predictability of the players that are going to make it. Yes, <laughs> Mariba was certainly I believe he was in the very first batch just because. He's been one of the top prospects for a long time. And so it's easy for me to say, hey, Alejandro Balde is one. And yeah, sometimes I go out on a limb on Andre Oriana and you get it wrong. But hey, he's still that kid's only still 20, 21 as well. So there's still, there's still mm-hmm. time still working out. So final points I have from this Alaved before we move on to the PSG preview is Messi scored two Galazos. Messi, when he plays like that, he Barcelona completely overwhelm an opponent. Trincao, you already mentioned his two goals. That's three goals in three matches for the 21-year-old. Now, if he can actually put goals in coming off the bench, that's going to be a big thing as well. He did start in this match, so it does take him a while in the 90 minutes that he plays to get those goals. But if he can now take that form and do that same thing in 15 minutes, he will really carve himself out a a nice role for the rest of this spring. But as I've been saying with Trincao, I think at the beginning, I have to look back on this. Elliot had a question about in my original predictions about how many goals players would score this season how many did I have for Trincao and I think the number was four 
I think because he had eight yep. last season for Braga, I figured he'd have half of that. So now he has three of the four that I even predicted. And we say that he's really struggled to adapt at the Camp No, which I actually is, believe it or not, a good sign to say that he might end this year even with the three goals in his debut season. Hopefully he gets more, though. And then the final point I have from Alaves was that Umtiti came on for Busquets at halftime for his confidence. I'd say more than anything else, whether he plays against PSG or not, which we are going to speak about in a moment. As far as Messi, Trincao, Umtiti, Frances, real quick, do you have anything to add on Alaves or do you want to move on to PSG? Not really much. Not really much. Three points in the back. Youngsters got playing time. Job done. Yeah, job done. And still a big job to do because in the Champions League on Tuesday, it's PSG. Now, there are some, again, tropes that you keep seeing spit out there about PSG. So I want to basically go over those real quick and, and mention how they don't matter. And then, Frances, I'm going to give you a little opportunity. I, I, I don't want to say, what do you know about PSG? Or I want to give you an opportunity just to speak about some of the past with PSG and your feeling about the match beforehand. And then I'm going to give you the entire boring scouting breakdown. So everybody, <laughs> make sure you put on your eye mask. And if you need to take your nap, we're going to get ready now because I've got the whole scouting report. I, you know, I, I, I messaged you last night. I watched PSG. I, I watched them in three different matches. I sat through so much PSG just for this preview. So it is coming. It is detailed. But yeah, we're going to get through it. But first time I want to mention, this is one that people are showing. Last time Barca beat Alaves by more than four goals, which is 6 nothing in 2017. They lost to PSG the very next match, 4 nothing. But also history doesn't matter. As much as I love history, those kind of things are silly and nonsense and don't matter. And so... Other than that, the, the thing that we do remember with that season is the Romantada. But both these teams are completely different. Some of the faces are the same. Very few of the faces are the same for PSG. But some of the faces are the same for Barcelona, i.e. Messi, and then Busquets. But most likely, PK and Roberto are going to be watching from the sidelines. So these are two entirely different teams. But in terms of the power of PSG and the fact that they are this gigantic club, the one thing I do push back on is that Barcelona... We know, as, as we've spoken about before, this is a transition season. And for Kool-Aid, the Champions League trophy is not expected. For PSG, they have been... That is the only thing that aided by Bayern Munich, who is the best side still in the world. And PSG is looking to win the Champions League. And for Barcelona, they'd like to win it. And Kool-Aid are still going to get frustrated and disappointed when they don't. But I think all the pressure in this match, believe it or not, based on expectations of fan bases and the rest of world football, they're still going to say that being all the, we'll say the generic ones that aren't watching match in and match out and aren't getting the bigger context, just on the names Barcelona and PSG, Barcelona should win this match. But PSG are the ones who actually have a chance and think they have a chance of winning the title. And I think this match is actually more even than we think. But first, yeah, respond about expectations, Frances. Right, okay. Um, I am delighted that we are in a position uh, of not being the favourites at all. I think that we are expected to not win. I think that PSG, given all of the reasons you just explained, should be walking all over us. And that is a great position to be in because it actually helps us. I think that anything that we produce, anything that we can sacar de la chistera, get out of a chest or a hat or whatever, um, is going to be a positive. I think that the fact that we've got Messi, obviously everyone knows that. Um, that's the only thing that gives us some possibilities of going through on paper. Uh, having said that, the team has grown enormously, especially over the last couple of months. They've got, I think it's seven consecutive wins in La Liga, 21 of 21 points. Um, the defeat in Sevilla, which obviously was a little bit of a blow. It wasn't that bad of a match, to be fully honest. I think that we've got the... The clean sheets seems to be hard to get, but we can work on that. So overall, I think that 
if we lose to PSG, then that's natural. That's what everyone expects. But obviously, it may go, it may go the other way. Um, as to what PSG have historically been, well, to be honest, uh, since I started watching Barca, I think PSG were never really relevant. Um, I remember around the 1990s when Rai was playing for them, um, attacking midfielder, Brazilian, really tall, played a little bit like Kaká later on in the years. But beyond that, nothing, nothing much. They were nowhere to be seen. Obviously, they got the, the Qatari investors and uh, they started investing like crazy. And that's when, you know, the, 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 not the tables have turned, but, you know, they become uh, slowly, I would say quite slowly, to be honest, but slowly but surely um, a, a larger sort of force to be reckoned in the European scale. And last year, getting to the final, I think was very good for them. Um, they obviously faced Bayern Munich, who, as you already mentioned today already, um, they are head and shoulders above everybody else. I mean, they just won the Sextete, which is very, very impressive. And um, I think that they should be going one better this season, according to all the money they've invested. But Barca is on the way, so who knows? Maybe we turn that around. Well, yeah, I mean, PSG actually haven't been as good as they normally have, or maybe that's because the rest of the French League, just like how Atletico Madrid have stepped up, and Barca and Real Madrid are actually about the same as they were last year, but Atletico Madrid have just been that good. And it's actually the same thing in, in, in Ligue 1 right now, where there's a battle for the top four, believe it or not. Lille has spent much of the season as the, the in the one spot, and then PSG in the two or three spot, and then Lyon and Monaco rounds out a top four. And at time of recording... Technically in first with Lille still to play today. So that could change even by the time you're hearing this. Probably it might have, it most likely has changed because Lille has gotten points in most matches. So they're probably number one at the moment and PSG is back in two. So yeah, PSG for the first time in a while have a real fight. Other than when the last time Kylian Mbappe was playing for Monaco and Monaco won the league. It's been quite a few years for PSG and they've actually got themselves a title fight. Uh, and they're coming off a difficult match against Nice. I'll talk about in a second. But the injuries and the absences, I think are another thing to speak about. Barca fans are quaking because there's no PK, maybe no Araujo. We still will not know until probably game time, or maybe we'll find out sometime tomorrow, that being Monday, um, and no Sergi Roberto. But PSG don't have Neymar and Angel Di Maria, who are, as we know, two of their most important three players. Angel Di Maria is having a wonderful season, and missing him is huge. And Neymar, as much as people keep saying that he's this punchline about his sister's birthday, blah, 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 the same joke you keep hearing, Neymar has been very good for them this season. He's playing much more centrally, and everything that they do has run through Neymar. And the reason he gets hurt so much is because he gets hacked to bits. And now that he's moved centrally, he's getting attacked by, as Messi will tell him, by multiple players at multiple angles. And so this latest injury comes from just a weird tackle at the wrong time, if you see it. You know, it's hard to blame Neymar for actually, you know, wind up taking that knock in the way that he did. It was hard to avoid it. And so I actually think that PSG's absences matter more to them. As, as fearful as they might be about the, the, the Barcelona back line, PSG's attacking, their, their attacking prowess, if you will, is not as good. Clearly not as good without, I think, their two most influential. Now, Mbappe scores goals, yes. But they're two most influential attackers, the orchestrators, the playmakers. Without Neymar and Angel Di Maria, PSG just aren't as good. No, I'm, I, I totally yeah. agree. I totally agree. I think that we've got um, a team in front of us that it's not at their full strength, same as ours. And we just have to go fight it out and see what happens. Yeah. All right, Frances, put on your eye mask now. Here we go. We're going to get into the tactics, the numbers, all the boring stuff. All right, here we go. 
<laughs> yeah, so under Pochettino, who came in a few matches ago for two goal, 10 to be exact, they have won 8 of 10, so it's not like they're in bad form or anything. Pochettino has played either a 4-2-3-1 or in, we'll say, bigger games against tougher competition, he's played a 4-3-3. So this formation about for PSG is going to be the big question. You know that Barcelona is going to play a 4-3-3. Against Nice yesterday, they played a 4-2-3-1, and while they did win 2-1, it was closer than even that scoreline suggests. And PSG were barely the better team than Nice with uh, a, a young man named Jean-Claire Tadibo. I think Barcelona should check him out. But anyway, so against Marseille, uh, Marseille last week, though, they did play a 4-3-3. So when we're taking big matches here, and they had in that midfield three Marco Verratti, who didn't play against Nice alongside Leandro Paredes and Idrissa Gay. The real question is, does Pochettino go with the midfield three, with including Verratti, and try to shut down everything in the middle? Or does he do what he did against Nice and offer a Julian Draxler, the German playmaker, as the attacking midfielder replacing Neymar in front of those two of those or in front of two of those other three midfielders I mentioned? So either way, the front trident or the players to the left, right and in front of Draxler will be Kylian Mbappe on the left. Most likely, Moise Keane on the right, who was actually not playing for a while when Pochettino showed up, and now he's been inserted right back in once Di Maria and Neymar went down. And then Moro Icardi, formerly uh, of the academy, but he's been never playing for Barcelona for, <laughs> it's been 15 years. Uh, then Moro Icardi is up top. Okay, so now I'm going to give you the opportunity again, because we, I need to talk about a little bit of Mbappe. I was, I was trying to, my wife was trying to talk me down on this, and I said, how hard am I going to go in on, on Mbappe? Because Mbappe is a world-class player, right? He's the one, along with Ronaldo and Messi and Neymar, and he's the ones that all the papers slap him on the cover, talk about how great he is, and he sells jerseys, he sells video games, he sells everything. He's such a marketable figure. And people fear him. This is what I keep seeing from Kool-Aid. They fear him so gosh darn much. Because he does have the stats to back it up. He has 18 goals, 9 assists playing next to Neymar. Messi has 19 goals and 8 assists next to, to Griezmann. So Mbappe, not too far off the chart, actually has more assists this year than Messi. And the numbers do him, I think, more favors actually to the way that PSG play. If you're Barcelona, are you more afraid of Mbappe than PSG should be of Messi? I, I mean, I just want to like almost calm Kool-Aid down a little bit with that. that Mbappe, the way that PSG play, he comes in off the wing most regularly into the middle. So the real job, as we keep saying, you think it's going to be Busquets on the counter most likely, dealing with Mbappe, right? We have nightmares about Busquets one-on-one with Mbappe coming down the middle on the counter. But really, it's going to come down to the choice between Destro Mingueza at right back, whoever starts at that position. From what I've seen from Mbappe this season, I think the combination of Destro Mingueza plus Frankie de Jong helping him out, or help whoever is at the right back, and covering from that interior spot, bringing that extra help, sliding over with Mbappe, preparing for him to cut in, I think that could be enough to keep Mbappe in some semblance of check. Because in this tie, you don't have to you don't have to not let Mbappe score. You just have to score more than PSG do. So me, I actually think Keane against Alba on the other side might be the scarier matchup because Alba does have trouble with more physical forwards. And Keane is a strong guy who should be playing through the middle, but has also moved out to the wing. And I think it's going to be a difficult test for Alba. Um, and Pedri is going to have to help him out there. I think that... Huh. I'm not scared of Mbappe. I'm not scared of Ronaldo. I'm not scared of Mother Teresa scoring hat tricks. What I'm, what I would I'm, like to see that. I would like to see Teresa of Calcutta. <laughs> Let's see that's that the hat trick. I love that. That would be the matchup. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm not scared, but I think I'm really wary of the quality of our defense, regardless of who's facing us. Um, I think that when you had 
Dani Alves, Avidal, Puyol, and Piqué, you could play anyone. Uh, it didn't matter who it was. You knew that between the speed, strength, charisma, um, and togetherness, they were going to overcome it. Now you've got Sergio Des coming back from injury. I think, I mean, he, he did manage, what, 20 minutes um, over the weekend, and it wasn't spectacular in any way, shape, or form. In other words, it doesn't make you feel that he's fully fit just yet. Yeah, I don't think so. Sergio, there, there you go. So Sergio yep. Roberto, obviously unfit, um, unable to play. And even if he was fit, a lot of people have got doubts about him, but you would like to have him fully fit uh, in that right back, definitely, because he's better than any other options we've got at the moment, especially with Sardinho Dest um, not, not really there physically. Then Gerard Piquet is out. Again, he's not the fastest player in the world, but he would cover up better than Untiti definitely will do. Um, Lenglet, again, I'm not going to say out of form, but making way too many mistakes. Um, and to be honest, looking and feeling quite uncomfortable not just on the ball, but definitely when pressed. Um, I think Oscar Minguez, as, as I probably said at the beginning of the podcast, I think it's the first thing I said, that Minguez is our best defender right now. I think that he looks fit. He looks confident. I like his attitude as well. I like how he, not, not how he moans, okay? Because don't get me wrong, I don't like moaning players. But I like the fact that he doesn't stand down. You know, the guy's 21, and if he needs to tell you a couple of things, he does. And if he needs to have an argument with you, he does. And if he's not happy with the referee, he tells him, you know. So he's like a 21-year-old, but from that perspective, he's beyond his years. Uh, and I think that the stature that he has, not in height, not physically, but sort of mentally and, and from the from the understanding of the game, I think that's, that's really, really impressive. Also, he is very fit. Um, he's quite tall, obviously, but not just that. I think he's got an acceleration that is it could be decisive and i think that if you're just pushing me to talk about the mbappe matchup i think that uh, oscar mingueza is probably the best option we've got because of that acceleration that he does have and also he's quite quite an intelligent player uh, and also i like the fact that he's on the way up you know he's he's not skyrocketing just yet but he's he's someone who is improving full of confidence um could have scored uh once or twice in the last i want to say month for barca which for a right back slash centre-back is, is impressive. And then the other option you mentioned is Araujo. Well, ideally, someone who is not fully fit shouldn't play. Um, I think that, you know, the, the, the doctors, I'm sure, can do some magic. In Spanish, it's called infiltrado, which means they get an injection to the affected area, and then he'll be able to play, which obviously long-term you cannot do too much because then, you know, you're causing long-term damage. But um, especially in the 90s, there was a lot of players that played infiltrados a lot, a lot of times. Like, I remember even... In the early 2000s, Ronaldinho did it a lot of times and, you know, maybe generating what he did. And even Ronaldo did it as well, which, you know, he had lots of injuries further on in, in his career. But regardless, I think that if it's just for one match and it is for a match of this, this necessity of this magnitude, and when you've got Piquet out and Umtiti, you know, being a liability, let's face it, then I think if Araujo is anywhere near being fit, he may... It's, it's hard for me to say. I think I would probably go for the injection if it's just for the one game. But obviously, you need to know all the risks. And I'm no doctor. Um, and as you said, on their back position, then Jordi Alba has to be the player that, that starts because he's much better than Junior Firpo in every way, shape or form. And uh, we're just going to have to see what happens in the offensive end with Jordi Alba. And as you also already mentioned before, Jordi Alba may generate three, four crosses that could potentially be goals. 
he may also cost you one goal the other way. But if you win 4-1, then that's a given, isn't it? So, yeah, I we'll mean, in, in response to the right back spot, I, I think there's still no disagreements that Dest has a higher potential. And Dest also, I think, in his matches this season, has had the higher ceiling where I think his worst match, Dest's worst match, was still better than Mingueza's worst match. But Mingueza has been the player to have a good run of form. And Mingueza, I think he's raised his floor for me. I think his worst matches have been getting better and better. And you get a certain base level of what you're going to get from him each and every match. And he has had very good matches as well He's where he's been impactful. So as I said, I, the long-term right-back solution is, uh, is still Dest. And I still think that Mingueza might profile at the peak of his powers as a fourth center back instead of actually a a right back or a left back or, or what have you. But but to the point, at this moment in this time with Des not fully fit, and especially with his hamstring injury, I actually wouldn't rush him because this is a two-legged tie. I know it feels like if you lose four or five nothing that the tie is over and you want to you have to make sure you get some result in the first leg. But yeah, I wouldn't actually risk desk here desk here because he's not fully fit and clearly not ready to go. Uh, I think he re- re- aggravated the injury by coming back too soon last time a few weeks ago. So, yeah, I think McGuire has earned the start in this position. And I think you have to say, hey, this is... if And that's what it comes down to, right, of what I said, that if McGuire plays out of his mind and have has one of his best matches in his Barca career, because of where uh, the matchup with Mbappe, Barcelona had a real good chance in this match. The other thing, I, I feel a few, few notes I have here about PSG... For all the body language we talked about, Messi kind of moping around for a while, and now the last two months he's been enjoying his football. PSG's body language was, in the three matches I sat through, not great, <laughs> to, to put it lightly. Uh, it's not great, especially without Neymar. Believe it or not, we think of Neymar as this whiny, whatever, blah, 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 blah. But this year, he's actually been this emotional leader for PSG ever since Thiago Silva went to Chelsea, and then Cavani had left before him now previously. And it seems like now Neymar is settling his future to stay in Paris. He's going to try to convince Mbappe to stay there as well. Uh, And as I mentioned, with him playing more centrally this season in a 4-2-3-1, the drop-off from him to Draxler, I think is arguably as bad as the drop-off from Araujo to Mtiti for Barcelona's back line. It's just that much of a drop-off in talent in terms of uh, affecting a game. So we're going back to the Neymar point about his absence, but just their body language. Uh, Mbappe is not the emotional leader, or and they don't really have that player that's going to rah-rah everybody from the back. Maybe it's Kaylor Navas, uh, who is the one that I think everyone's worrying about because we remember what he did for against Barcelona for PS. I mean for Real Madrid. So uh, I mean it's and that PSG back line it's sturdy. Again, Keller Navas, he's I mean he's in his mid thirties now, but as a goalkeeper, he's he's aged like a fine wine and. Uh, he's a much bigger worry than I think the defenders. Even Marquinhos, who's, you'd say that if you were going to take all the available Barca defenders and all the available PSG defenders, Marquinhos the best player of that whole bunch. But he has made some errors this season. He has been very Langley-esque in the, his performances, where they've been fine, but he has had some issues, but he's still the best that Pochettino has to offer. And this PSG defense, even Florenzi or, or Krizawa, they can also make individual mistakes out on the wing. So it's not like they're perfect. There are options for Barcelona, as we saw against Alaves, for Busquets to play over the top to Griezmann because PSG are going to push a lot of bodies forward. So if I'm Busquets, I don't want to get beat on the counter. So from that deep, deep, deep position that Busquets is going to be playing in as a pivot to give him as many steps to try to get to where he needs to be to break out that counter, expect Busquets to be more willing instead of pushing up and throwing his body into that attack for him to be more reliant on his long passing, especially over the top when PSG put those same bodies in. As I keep saying about the midfield as well, for Barcelona, part of the game plan has to be to make that PSG midfield, mainly 
um, Idrisage and Paredes, make those two beat you. Don't let Mbappe, don't let Keane, don't let Icardi, don't let those guys beat you. Make those two midfielders beat you because they are going to be kicking that being gay and Paredes. They're going to be kicking Messi and Pedri to bits all match. That's what they do. They add that steal. They add that bite. So I want to see them be the ones who have to beat Barca with their passing or their shooting, which is not as good as the rest of their game. Gay is one of the best ball winners in the world, but Busquets can break five lines before Gay breaks one with the ball on the ground or in the air. So make him make the passes to beat you. And I think Barcelona, if they can control that midfield and if they can be the ones to be more useful with their possession, it is it is kind of a, a catcher a catch twenty two for Barcelona, right? If they have so much possession, they're going to be susceptible to the counter. But if they but if when they have uh, rather if they don't have possession, then they aren't going to score a goal and they won't be able to do anything with the ball. So they're going to need the ball to be on the front foot, but having the ball means they're susceptible to counters. So that's a catch twenty two that Barcelona are going to find themselves in against a team like PSG. <laughs> I agree with you. Wonderful. Okay. I've got nothing to add. You said absolutely everything. All right. Well, first the... time in four years, I am speechless. <laughs> nothing to say. About. Well, I think before, I'll give me to give you the final point here because the worst case scenario. This is a joke here that Xavi Simmons, who just made his debut the other day for PSG, oh, comes gosh. on and is the hero. I even thought of that. He's the hero against the team that raised him. But I joke. That is a joke because he has the same percentage to see the field as Iash does. Um, as in, both of them will probably be watching from the stands. So it'll be a fun. They can have a little chat before the match and after the match, even though it's it's pandemic time. So don't get too close. But yeah, they can have a quick laugh at the beginning and, and after the match and the 18 year olds will be watching don't worry 17 18 year olds they'll be watching from the stands other than Pedri who will be in the starting lineup and speaking of that starting lineup before we go Frances I want to hear your starting lineup against PSG not PSG starting lineup I'm not going to put that on you I'm saying uh, give me your Barcelona starting lineup okay um, I thought you may ask this <laughs> I have got no idea Dan uh, to be honest um, I know who I don't want to play <laughs> I don't want I don't want to play Umtiti yeah. So with that, then you need to do a lot of invention at the back. Um, as I said before, I'm no doctor, so I don't know if Serginho Des is fully fit. So the backline depends on that, really. Mm-hmm. Um, if Dest is fit, which I don't think he will be, then is Dest, Mingueza as a centre-back on the right, and then Lenglet on the left, and then Jordi Alba. Now, if Serginho Des is not fully fit, please no one fall off. I think Junior Firpo starts on the right because he's the fittest <laughs> defender we've got. You don't want to start UTT, then Mingueza has to be a centre-back. And so that's Lenglet, who is the other option, and then Jordi Alba on the left. But I would much rather start Junior on the right than play UTT at all. I think that he's, he's been a fantastic player. You need to be grateful for everything he's done over the years, blah, blah, blah. But for the last three years, he's, he's cost us big time in so many ways. And uh, you don't even have to go back three years. I think if you go back two weeks. Um, I think he's given away two or three goals already. And, and you just can't have that against, uh, against you know, w- not world-class, but top-level European competition. And obviously, Ter Stegen at the back, which I didn't even have yeah. to mention. Do we, do we agree yeah. Do we agree that it, it, it if if Dest isn't fit and if Araujo's not fit, obviously Araujo being at 80%, I think, is still the better option than Umtiti. But if it's not one of those two and you can't make that work even... I, and I understand the Junior Furpa point, it's still Umtiti over De Jong, right? If if Coleman has to make a decision that it's still so. it's so it's got it's still got to be Umtiti. You have to keep. I know you're about to go to the midfield next, but 
I mean, I don't think we have any arguments about who the front three and who the midfield three have to be, right? It has to be Pedri, no. De Jong, Busquets, and it has to yeah. be Messi, Griezmann, Dembele. There's no other. There's no other options. Yes, but that doesn't mean it will be. So you asked me about my starting eleven. Yeah. So that's my starting eleven right. with the three, three plus three that you just mentioned. So I don't think anyone in their right mind would disagree that is Busquets, Pedri, De Jong, Dembele on a wing, Griezmann possibly on a wing, possibly towards the middle, Messi wherever he wants basically. But that's your three plus three at the front. Um, then, but the question has to be at the back. The question has to be at the back, and and my answer is is quite clear. It depends on fitness. Um, I think if Araujo could play, as you mentioned, not being fully fit, then that moves Mingueza to the right. But I think it's more about, given the, 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 the absences we've got, given the injuries we've had, Umtiti cannot start this game. And if he does, we won't win. Yeah, it's tough. It's a, t- it's a tough pill to put it on MTT. But hey, you know, I think the whole narrative will change if they wind up being trusted, that being Umtiti, and then he goes out and... In Barcelona, I don't think they're going to get a shutout because recent history says that even when Borussia dominated in January, clean sheets were, were not a part of that. So I think you're expecting to see at least one PSG goal. But as I said, this Barcelona is young. They're exuberant. All they have to do is outscore their opponent. And you have Lionel Messi in your side. And I am much more confident in Lionel Messi in showing up uh, than I am for Mbappe on the other side. So that is how I end it. Yeah. So that's that's I don't have a prediction for you, PSG against Barcelona just yet, but I, I think there are ways that Barcelona can get at PSG and there are ways that PSG can get at Barcelona and it's gonna be Shall an I interesting give you a battle. Prediction? Shall I give you a prediction? I guess so. Throw it out there. Uh, we are not gonna win, I'd say. I'd say that everything everything tells you that we shouldn't win. Everything tells you that PSG will be the better team. Everything tells you that they are the favorites because they've got so much more money than us and they, you know, their kid is so much nicer and their hairs are so lovely, you know, they're so fashionable, but who knows? So let's just say we won't win and then see what happens. Well, then my prediction is that I'm going to try to be optimistic and find silver linings. When you hear us next, which is going to be midweek, we're going to talk to you again. I mean, so many podcasts, Frances. Uh, so we are going to be talking to people again midweek after the PSG match to review that one. That'll be the podcast, we'll say, for this coming week. So look forward for that. But for now, Frances and I, we have got some, uh, as Frances, you can hear in the background, has some kids to attend to. And I have got a, uh, I've got a basketball game to get on the air for. So we are, we are out of here for this one. So thanks so much for tuning in. You can tap in your app and check out the show to subscribe you can find us on social media we're on twitter at the barcelona pod or health md13 for me on instagram at the barcelona pod close facebook group you know what that is we're gonna have our listener questions returning soon don't worry LaRonda will be back in the near future but we just had a lot to talk about in this stretch of game so that's tvpod.link backslash group and uh for deeper dives and discussions and all about and then on patreon that's where we do some of the match reviews that you also see on youtube tvpod.link backslash patreon also helps us make these shows youtube the barcelona podcast i'm actually going to have all the boring stuff i had in here i'm actually going to put that on youtube but i'm going to add actual images of these players and uh some photos and so it'll, it'll be a little more uh, enjoyable for the for the visual aspect and for the visual learners. are you going to have photos of yourself as well because obviously with the stars of the show right uh, I mean, we're, we're debating putting the, putting the stand-up, but now I'm going to be talking about the housing situation, and now you've got me all riled up, Frances. So I think that'll it, that'll be it there. So thanks so much for listening to the Barcelona Podcast. Until next time, we'll talk to you soon in Forza Barca. Forza.
Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.